The tongue. It's a marvelous thing, isn't it? It brings the world of taste into our lives. Sweet, sour, savory, salty. Filet mignon. Lobster. Who likes lobster? A few hands. All of the tastes of the world, Mexican, Italian, Yugoslavian. It brings the world of taste into our mouths. It was the first musical instrument. Think about that. Through it, we, we vocalize. We interact with each other. We express the innermost thoughts and feelings of our hearts. With it, we discover the, the, the great mysteries of the universe. I remember Mrs. Einstein, uh, I think it was at Cambridge, and they were showing her the computer there. And the, the fellow said, with this, we're discovering the, the mysteries of the universe. Mrs. Einstein said, my husband does that on the back of an envelope. With our tongue, we, we praise God. The tongue, what a marvelous thing it is. What a wonderful thing it is. And yet the tongue is so often used in evil ways. Throughout Scripture, Scripture warns us that the tongue is an instrument to be guarded with with utmost cautiousness. In our book of study, the book of James, James mentions the tongue in at least Six settings. Uh, This particular setting is his main statement on the tongue. So today we ask God to impact our lives at the point of our tongues. Let me ask you, have you thought much about your tongue? I'll bet not. What it is, what it does, how it serves you whether it's uh, good and wholesome, uh, constructive, or whether it's uh, vile and repugnant, destructive. Whether your tongue is holy or whether it's depraved. Perhaps the most important thing, though, is not what we think about our tongues, but what the Lord thinks about our tongues. under the inspired hand of God, James notes two things about the tongue. First, he notes it's a, a rather small thing. It lies hidden within the, the recesses of our, our mouths. For the most part, 
doing what it does unseen. We don't actually see the tongue when it does most of its work. It's behind the scenes, hidden. James wants us aware of how small and seemingly insignificant the tongue is. The smallness he illustrates in three ways. First is the horse's bridle. Verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the, the whole animal. As a little boy, we had horses. Every night, all summer long, we would load everything up and we would drive 23 miles over to Cody, Wyoming and be a part of the, the rodeo parade there. It was quite an event for a little boy. I suppose I was four, maybe. I don't know when we, we started doing that. We'd had horses, but it was quite an event. Uh, tourists would line up for uh, six or so blocks, uh, and they'd line up uh, four, five, six, seven, eight deep on the street to watch the rodeo parade and then follow the rodeo parade to the fairgrounds. Every night, the riders, the cowboys, the mountain men, mountain men would actually come out of the mountains and be uh, a part of the, the rodeo parade. It, it was always different. Every night it was different. Sometimes there were Indians. There were usually wagons, uh, stagecoaches, cattle. Whatever happened to be in the parade that night, my mom would ride her uh, Arabian, a, a horse named Caleb. It, it was a beautiful horse. I, I don't know if there's a, a more beautiful horse than an Arabian. My dad had a thoroughbred uh, named Sack. And I, was, I said I was quite young, but if I got to ride in the parade, I rode a quarter horse named Buckshot. My dad used to catch horses uh, south of Powell in uh, uh, some badlands called the McCullough Peaks. And if they were colts, I would raise them, my sister and I. If they were really small, we used to have to bottle feed them. The adults we would sell, and if, uh, if they were weak or sick, we would sell them to the blue factory the proverbial glue factory. I, I was always amazed at a little boy how small the bridle and the reins were, that, that little thin strip of leather that would come up on each side of the horse's neck and go, go down to that, that bit that fit in the horse's mouth. That whole mechanism worked because there is a bump on the bar that goes through the horse's mouth and that bump raises and lowers as you pull on the reins telling the horse that you want it to do something. James Point, the tongue is small. Small and insignificant, or seemingly so. James also turns his readers to look at uh, uh, sailing vessels, uh, ships. Ships, immense in size when compared to the, the diminutive size of the rudder. Or at least seemingly so. How does uh, verse 4 put it? Or take ships as an example. 
although they are so large and are driven by, by strong winds. They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. James highlights a, a couple things, the, the immense size of the vehicle, the, tr- the, the tremendous power of the winds, and the disproportionate size of the rudder. And yet it guides the, the, this, this whole immense machine through the water, through the oceans of the world. I don't know if you know the story of the Bismarck, the, the, the biggest, meanest, best ship that fought during World War II. The Russian, I mean the uh, uh, German battleship, the Bismarck. They knew it was being built because they'd, they'd seen it through uh, aerial reconnaissance. They didn't know when it was going to enter the, the, the battle arena, but one day it did. And when it did, the navies of the Allied Army, basically the Royal Navy, uh, converged on the Bismarck. On the, uh, Bismarck. There was a battle that lasted three minutes. That German battleship, the Bismarck, sunk the best, the biggest and the best the English could marshal, the HMS Hood. It was known as the Mighty Hood in three minutes. 1,418 sailors died. Only three survived. After that point, uh, when it was spotted again on May 21st, 1941, the, 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 the navies uh, of the world sailed to the Bismarck. They, they hoped to have a second chance at sinking it. They didn't want to get very close because they knew that this, this huge battleship that was the, the, the biggest, the fastest, the most heavily armored, the most biggest guns that had ever been put on a battleship were on this ship. They'd seen what happened to the Mighty Hood. Three minutes, and it was sunk. So they kind of dogged it like uh, a pack of wolves dogging an outsized prey, hoping to bring it down. One of the things they did was they sent uh, uh, torpedo bombers to attack it. Uh, They could get close with that. Uh, Those torpedoes would, would hit the side of the Bismarck and do absolutely nothing. And then, as it went to the French coast, which was German-controlled, the Germans had already conquered France, Uh, the Bismarck tried to make uh, the French coast and safety. As it did that, all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, it swung back into the the battle arena. And it uh, traveled in kind of a, a zigzag sort of way, which slowed it down and made the navies able to keep up with it. What had happened? Well, one of those torpedoes from a torpedo plane had almost missed the Bismarck. If it hit, it wouldn't have done any good. It would have just exploded and not done any good. But as it was, it almost missed the Bismarck, but instead of missing it, it got rammed in the rudder and disabled the rudder of the Bismarck. So to steer, the Bismarck had to do it with the the propellers. And that's how they sunk the Bismarck. As rudders control ships, so 
tongues control you and me. Small, unnoticed, easily, easily overlooked, that's the tongue. James also brings up uh, a, a tiny spark and how, how a tiny spark can set a whole, whole forest afire. But, but the point's the same. It's small. It's relatively insignificant. A, a tiny spark, psst, poof, and a huge inferno is ablaze. Kathy and I know about fires and sparks. We were down in Durango during the, the 416 fire this summer. We saw the devastation. We, we smelled the smoke. More recently, the fires in California started from a, a spark from a transformer, at least one of them. James' opening point, the tongue is small. Though it's small, don't let its size fool you. Don't be fooled. So often we are. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You remember that? That childhood adage couldn't be further from the truth, could it? Words hurt. They cut deep, and often they leave more lasting injuries than do physical injuries. Sometimes they never heal. What seems insignificant is, in fact, inordinately significant. This is the second point that James wants us fully aware of concerning the tongue. Yes, it's small, but it's significant. A a significance disproportionate to its size. The tongue is significant because it betrays our weakness. Read verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a, a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of what? Evil among the body parts. It corrupts the whole person, sets the, the whole course of, of his or her life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, that's a positive description of your and my tongue, isn't it? Once again, James takes us to to the core of our being, to the heart of what makes us tick. His underlying point is that faith changes all this. What are you? What are you is exactly what the cross was designed to change. The tongue shows us for what we are. Sinners, depraved deep down in our hearts. And it shows how much we need salvation by faith. Add to verses 5 and 6, the statements of of 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, uh, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. There's that word again, full of deadly poison. As we have seen continually, James minces no words, does he? He doesn't candy coat anything. He doesn't soft pedal anything. He lays it 
right out before us so we can see ourselves as we are. The tongue is significant because it indicates how helpless we are in the face of our sinful natures. I doubt if you've heard of the rabbi uh, Joseph Tuluskin. Uh, he, he used to lecture a lot. I, 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 I doubt if he does much anymore. He's, he's quite old. He, he may, but he used to lecture all over the United States uh, on, the, on how powerful words are, uh, how negative and, and destructive they can be. He would usually ask uh, the people uh, in his audience if they could go 24 hours without saying something unkind to or about someone else. Maybe a couple hands would go up. Yes, they, they thought they could go 24 hours without saying something unkind or, or to someone else. Others would laugh outright because they thought it was a joke. And some would actually verbalize, no, they didn't think so. Toluskin would respond. Those who can't answer yes must recognize that you have a serious problem, he would say. If you cannot go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. Similarly, if you cannot go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, you have lost control of your tongue. James' point isn't that we've lost it. His point is that we never had it. I don't think they really disagree. But James' point is we never had it. We can tame the the beasts of the world. But not the tongues within our own mouths. Before it, we find ourselves utterly helpless. Look look at the the, uh, verses uh, 9 and 10. With the tongue, we praise the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, praise and cursing. Our tongues are capable of of great good, and yet they are equally capable of, of devastating evil. So while we think God is thrilled with our efforts, others are left crippled and bleeding along the way as we make our way through lives, through life. And the Lord, he's uh, not so easy fooled, easily fooled. And I don't think he's easily pleased with what we do with our tongues. So the tongue is significant, uh, uh, diviningly, definingly significant. It is a a powerful, powerful force in our lives. That's the point of the spark that gets the fire going. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. Sets the whole course of of his or her life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Small, yes. But the tongue has power unmeasured in our world, in our lives, in our relationship with the Lord. 
I, I read about a teacher who came across to, who, who came to understand how, how significant words were. She was helping one of her kindergarten student, students put on his cowboy boots after school so that he could go home and so could she. He asked for help and she could see why. Even with the, her pulling and, and him pushing, the, those little boots just didn't want to go on. By the time they finally got the, the second boot on, she was huffing and puffing. She was, she was sweating and just relieved that the job was finally over. She almost cried, however, when the little boy said, Teacher, they're on the wrong feet. She looked, and sure enough, they were. It wasn't any easier pulling the boots off than it was putting them on. She, she managed to keep her cool and get the boots back on, this time on the right feet. It, it was then that he announced, uh, these aren't my boots. She bit her tongue rather than scream. Once again, she struggled to pull the ill-fitting boots off of his feet, and he sat there with kind of an odd look on his face. No sooner had she gotten them off than he said, They're my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them. At this point, she didn't know whether to laugh or cry, but she mustered up the grace and courage it took to, to wrestle the boots on again. And helping him on with his coat, she said, where are your mittens? He shrugged and said, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. <laughs> Simple words, uh, unassuming words. And yet words that set the tone of the moment and, and chances are, the day that followed. The tongue, how, how powerful it is and how it can impact everything that's taking place around us. The bit directs the horse. The rudder steers the ship. The spark lights a consuming fire. All small, but certainly not insignificant. Now, you may be sitting there and you say, well, that's great to hear. But what do I do with this preacher? It's insightful to know that my, my tongue is small and that its size is betrayed by its significance. I'm not sure I like the implications that the tongue proves the, the, the sin in my own life, but at least even that is insightful. But preacher, what do I do with this? So far, all I get out of this is discouragement. What do you do with this message? Well, first, we need to be realistic. If, if James' theology is anything, it, it's realistic. The tongue indicates who we are and, and what lies within it. It, it bears testimony to the depravity within our own hearts. We've already talked about this. And to stop at this point, yes, it would certainly be discouraging. 
James doesn't leave us twisting in the wind. The, the, the entire context of, of, of what he writes is how to live out your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to allow that faith to impact your life, to change you for his glory. Being realistic is the, the, the first step in solving the problem. Without realizing the, the problem, there, there's no correction. People so often refuse to recognize problems, but, but problems need to be recognized so they can be dealt with. If you're an alcohol, alcoholic, the, the first step on the road to recovery is recognizing the problem. This is true with every problem in life. In order to deal with it, it needs to be recognized and recognized as wrong. This is true with sin in general. Gossip. We saw that in the video to begin with. Gossip. Lying. Fault finding. Criticalness. Refusal to submit to the authority over you. Any sin that comes down the pike needs to be, we need to be realistic with. Until we realize it and we we recognize it, it is never dealt with. So you and me this morning, our tongues, do you have a realistic appraisal of your tongue and the place it plays in your life? Of the problems so that you can set about correcting them. First is recognizing the problem. The second is being resolute with it. Don't settle for it is. Don't accept it as it is. Be resolute in a process of change. We must be realistic, aggressively resolute in bringing about change, especially when we understand the origin of the tongue's message. When James says in verse 8, no man can tame the tongue, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's speaking of the natural man. He's not speaking of believers who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit who, who, if permitted, will start a process of change within our lives. It takes time. It takes effort. You have to be resolute. Let me also mention one other thing, accountability. Get with those who know you and love you enough to hold you accountable. Those who will help you over time bring your misguided tongue and and your heart that drives it into check. It's not something done overnight, and for the most part, it's not something done alone. This is why the Lord brings us into the church. Did you know that that's one of the parts, one of the places the church plays in our lives? It's helping us move from the lost, depraved soul that we are to a different person, a a transformed person, a, a holy person. It's a battle towards holiness. Here again, the, the tongue is a test of faith. It exposes exactly where the Lord is in our lives. Is he the Lord of your life, or are you the Lord of your life? 
And don't miss where James starts this text out, where he begins, verse 1. But not many of you should presume to be teachers. My brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Okay, who can raise their hand and say, yep, that verse 2 is me? I don't see any hands. I'm going to put mine down too. James is speaking to all of us, yes. He's also speaking especially to those who are mature, who think they are mature in their faith, but who in reality are not mature at all. Is it he that rules? Or is it sin that rules? That's the question. Are you being transformed by by the power of the gospel? Or do you continue to trudge through life all gummed up with the sins that Jesus died to free you from? There's a a small church in rural England uh, on the top of a windswept hill and Next to that church in the cemetery is a gray drab slate tombstone that's well weathered, but you can still faintly read what is etched on that slate tombstone. It says, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. It's a pretty sad epitaph, isn't it? I hope it doesn't take you and me that long to decide the issue. I hope we begin to deal with it in the here and now where salvation makes a difference. To deal with the problem that God intended faith to deal with. Our hearts. What will it take to turn your godless tongue into a godly tongue? As I said, it it takes a a realistic attitude, resolute actions, and and affirmative accountability. Yes, another test of faith. Another test as to how how active and life-changing faith is. Your faith is what it's doing to your life. And yes, it's a process. It's something that will will never be finished until we're glorified. But it is something we have to work on. The tongue may be small, but it, it is significant. The decision we make is what significance will our tongues have? A godly significance or a hellish significance? When I was in high school, writes Ed Rowell, I had a friend named Christina. Christina was pretty gullible. 
and I love to tell her ridiculous things because we all knew she would believe them. Once I told Christine I was going to have surgery. When she asked what kind, I told her they were going to remove my liver. She bought it hook, line, and sinker. She asked for details about my surgery, which I provided in great detail. When our conversation ended, I figured the first person she told about my condition would tell her that no one can live without a liver. When I came home that night, my mother was furious. She'd gone to uh, our small town's general store to get some groceries. This was Monument, Colorado. And there on the counter sat a gallon jar with my picture on it. And a sign taped to its side, donation for Eddie Roll's surgery. My mom, in her words, was embarrassed to death. She wanted to know where that story started, so I told her. Though my mom pummeled me a bit, I, I still thought it was funny. My smile faded when she made me call Christina. As we talked on the phone, I, Christina thought it was even less funny than my mother. She didn't consider it a joke. She considered it a lie. Out of compassion, she'd gone all around town telling people about my surgery. And she was hurt, angry, and embarrassed. She started to cry and hung up. I started thinking maybe it wasn't so funny after all. Things were never quite the same after that. I thought a lot about apologizing to Christina, but I could never quite bring myself to it. Just two years after we graduated from high school, Christina was killed in a car wreck. I wished a hundred times since. I, I told her I was sorry. I lied. I would have loved to have heard her say, you're forgiven. Small, insignificant, not hardly. Our tongues, each and every one of them, are inordinately significant. How will you use yours? For the glory of God or to evidence the hell within your own heart. Bow with me. Father, James brings us person to person with who we are, with what we are. And he brings us right up front with what you want to do in our lives, the change that you want to make. One crucial instrument is our tongues. Our tongues that are guided by our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would work in each of our lives, that we would be realistic and we would understand what our tongues are and what they mean. And I pray that 
through your grace and your truth and in accountability with your people. We would be changed, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen.